Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. How about one more round of applause for Darlene for singing that song? What a tremendous truth and message contained in the words of that song. Uh, What a savior and what a sacrifice. Again, we want to welcome you to Community Christian Church and say it's so great to have you here on this absolutely beautiful Labor Day weekend. Hopefully all of the rain is out of the way and we can enjoy a a beautiful uh, sunshiny day. Uh, First thing I'd like to do is to um, express to you my sincere thanks for all of your love and support for me and for my family uh, the last few days as I was uh, in the hospital. Um, Because of the faithfulness of God and your prayers, I'm on my way to a full recovery, a remarkable recovery. And I so appreciate uh, your support. Um, Right now my heart's in rhythm, and we want to keep it that way. And so let's pray with the procedure that um, the AFib condition is behind me and we can move forward. And again, I want to thank you for your cards, your notes, your emails, your text messages, your thoughts, your prayers, your encouragement, your love, your gifts. It means so much to me and I I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, Now, Pastor Chris was going to be up this morning. Uh, And after last week, we knew that he was quite capable of of speaking the message and even appealed to me and said, Dad, why don't you take an extra week and uh, just kind of rest a little bit? Uh, But my numbers came in so good this week and my cardiologist gave me the green light, I couldn't milk it any longer. (laughs) So uh, here I am. Uh, You're stuck with me. So uh, let's have this uh, wonderful uh, time together. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning. Uh, In fact, if my memory serves me right, this might be yet another Community Christian Church first, first time in 26 years. And what we're going to do today is we're going to build the remainder of our service around the communion table. That means that I'm not going to speak a separate message uh, and then break for communion like I typically do. And I'm not going to host the communion service first and then move on to something else. We are going to spend the rest of our time talking about and participating in this wonderful Christian ordinance we call communion. And I'm excited about that. Before we get started, though, I'd like to give you just a few instructions. And I make this mistake from time to time, thinking that people know these things. I may have mentioned them in the past. And so if I say them once or twice, I think everybody gets it. But sometimes we forget them, and sometimes we've never learned them. So let me just share a couple of ideas with you, some instructions. Uh, You may know this, and this might be review for you, but for some other people it might not be. It might be brand new to them. The communion service is for believers. It's for all believers. When Jesus instituted the communion supper, he invited all believers to come and share and participate in communion. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, maybe you're visiting for the first time or you're here because you lost a bet, or or maybe uh, for you, uh, this is your punishment. And for a lot of people, church can be punishments. If you haven't fully surrendered your life to God and you're not a believer yet, 
You're not someone who acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I have really good news for you this morning. We can take care of that. Amen. You can become a believer this morning. And what I'm going to do a little bit later on is I'm going to lead you in what's called a salvation prayer or a sinner's prayer. And the reason we call it a sinner's prayer is because the scripture clearly says to us and tells us that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Another passage says there are none righteous, no, not one. We have all turned away from God. We have all rejected him. Other than Jesus Christ himself, there are absolutely no other sinless people on the face of the whole earth. And that's a problem because sin separates us from God. Sin creates this huge wall or this huge gap between us and God. And so the sin issue has to be dealt with. And the only way that we can resolve it is to accept and believe what Jesus has already done for us on the cross and we've been singing about it and talking about it all morning. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. For your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the world. He died on the cross for our sins. But here's the best part of the gospel. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he was alive again. That's right. He ascended back to the throne. Currently, he's seated there, ruling and reigning over us as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you believe that and are convinced of what I just said to you, what I explained to you in a number of moments, that gospel message, when you believe that in your heart, something on the inside changes. You receive a revelation of the love of God and you become saved spiritually and that's when you become a believer. See, Romans 10.9 says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, not just Jesus, but his lordship, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And that whole salvation process includes a prayer. I made reference to it just a few moments ago. It's the sinner's prayer. And when you come before God and you bow at the cross and you repent of your sins and you say, God, I'm sorry for rejecting you and you mean that with all of your heart, you become a believer. And I promise you when you do that, it will be the greatest decision and choice of your life. Amen. That's right, amen. So that was a little bit of help for the unbeliever. Let me talk briefly to the believer, to those of you who have already made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, those of you who have surrendered your life to him, those of you who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're in right standing with God, and one day you'll spend an eternity with him. The communion service is for you. You belong here. You belong at the communion table even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't feel very spiritual today. Or if there's some part of your life that's not going right or you're involved in a behavior or in, a, in an activity or a lifestyle that you, was, you know is not pleasing to God. Even if the enemy's having a field day with you and filling your mind with guilt and condemnation. The communion service is for you. 
Because the communion service reminds you of what Jesus has already done for you. And the communion service leads you back to God. It doesn't turn you further away. And so you belong at the communion service. You, you're meant to be here. And yes, I am very aware of that little verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul the Apostle tells us not to come to the communion service in an unworthy manner. And that's the key. In an unworthy or disrespectful manner. We are not to come to communion that way. He didn't say we aren't to come to communion if we feel unworthy or if we are unworthy because nobody would be able to take communion then. None of us are worthy. None of us deserve what God is serving up to us and what he's given us. Everything we have, we have by grace. And so coming to the communion table in an unworthy manner just simply means you haven't prepared yourself for what Jesus has done. You're undermining the work of the cross and just going through the motions like it's no big deal. Right, okay, Jesus died. Yeah, I understand. He, he, you know, he went back, was resurrected and, and, and he went back to heaven. Yeah, that's where the unworthy manner comes in. But as a believer, we respect the cross and we respect the communion service when we come Humbly, with humility, with forgiveness, and gratefulness in our hearts. That's how we approach communion. And when you approach it that way, you belong here. So, now that I've established that everybody in the room is allowed to come to the communion table, communion has been established for you, all the believers and all of the unbelievers who are going to become believers today. We're all going to receive communion together. Uh, let's move on, okay? okay? The scripture tells us that it was the night before Jesus was arrested, before he was falsely accused and condemned to die, that Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples. Remember with me that the Passover was a yearly celebration held in Jerusalem to commemorate the Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Moses set that up, and it was to be followed, God's orders, from that day on and forward. And so, Jesus was following the law because it was unlawful at that time for any of the males to miss the Passover. They were required to be in attendance and participating in Jerusalem at Passover every year. And so at the Passover time, Jesus gathered with his disciples, like everybody else was doing. They usually did it in families and little communities. They were celebrating the Passover, and after they had consumed the main course sometime during that Passover meal, Jesus did something out of the ordinary. He took some bread, he broke the bread, and he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Now, we understand that. You know, some 2,000 years later, knowing the gospel, knowing what happened, we understand what Jesus meant. This is my body which is broken for you. He was going to the cross. He knew that. The disciples didn't understand it. They really didn't get what he was trying to communicate to them. They had gone through the Passover meal for years and years. Nobody who was leading the, 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 the Seder meal ever did that. This is my body which is broken for you. 
And this act of brokenness that Jesus was attempting to communicate to his disciples was really the fulfillment of a prophetic word that had been spoken some 700 years before the birth of Jesus by one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel, the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, and you hear me quote this all the time, Isaiah said he was wounded, Jesus, for our transgressions. He was crushed, he was pierced for our iniquities and our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. And by his wounds, by all of this brokenness, we are healed. And on the cross, that's precisely what happened to the body of Jesus. It was broken. In fact, on the cross, he was a bloody mess. Because Pilate cut a small band of Roman Praetorian guards loose to inflict as much pain as was humanly possible on the body of Jesus. There was so much hate in their hearts because of what had transpired that day that they manhandled Jesus to the point of death. They beat him. They kicked him around. They placed and pressed a crown of thorns on his brow. They drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, that is exactly what he meant. It was broken. In fact, Isaiah goes on to say that he received so much punishment and he suffered so many hits and physical pain that he was marred and disfigured beyond recognition. Do you know what that means? He was a bloody pulp. And he hung there on the cross, completely broken. And Isaiah said, by his wounds and his brokenness, we're healed. You know, there's a lot of controversy in the church today about this whole concept of healing. And it's been that way for 2,000 years. Nobody's been able to agree on this subject. And I'm not here to say to you that I have it all down or understand it because I don't. But I do know what the Word of God says, that He's the God who heals us. And that healing is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And that by His stripes and by His wounds, we're healed. So not believing in healing, not understanding uh, that the power of God and the grace of God is available to us would be undermining what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm not going to do that. It means too much to me. You see, we live in a broken world today. There's brokenness all around us. You don't have to look very far. There's broken hearts. There's broken dreams. Broken bodies. Broken souls. All because of sin. And when Jesus stood in front of his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you, he was offering to us hope. Even in our brokenness. And so here's what I want you to hear me say today. Even if there's evidence of brokenness in your life right now, it is not an indication that God is not a healer. I'm going to say that again. 
If there is brokenness in your life right now, for whatever reason, that is not an indicator that God is not a healer. I want you to think about this for a second. Because when we think healing, we think perfection. We think no problems, everything back to normal, everything as if it didn't happen. So a blind man or woman is no longer blind. Somebody who's had a broken relationship is now right back in the swing of things and everything's hunky-dory again. When Jesus stood before his disciples on the very first Easter, I want you to remember this. After they had watched him die on the cross, they took his body off the cross. He was buried, put in a tomb. They rolled away. They rolled the stone in front. They sealed the stone. The pilot had his seal put on there. Three days after that, they're, stand, they're in a room together, hiding out because of fear of the Jews. And who shows up? Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Freaks everybody out. He says, hey, get a load of me. I'm alive. Somebody was missing on that occasion. Do you remember who it was? Thomas. He wasn't there. So when Thomas came back home and all the rest of the disciples said, Jesus is alive, what happened? Thomas said, no way. He's not alive. I don't believe it. Well, Jesus tapped Thomas on the shoulder. Said, check it out. Do you remember what he said to Thomas? Put your hands over here where the scars are from the nails and check out where my side is flapping in the wind because they slice me open with their spears. And don't doubt, believe. This is Jesus, resurrected from the dead, standing in front of his disciples, completely healed with signs of brokenness on his body. You see, even in our brokenness, we can have victory. Even with brokenness, we can have joy. We can have peace. We can have faith. It's not brokenness or nothing. Jesus said, because my body is broken for you, we can be healed. We can be healed. We can be healed in every dimension of life, spirit, soul, and body, and still walk through our brokenness at the same time because we live in a very broken world. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment and think about that, and I'm going to lead you uh, through the communion time in just a few minutes, and we're going to start with the bread. We're going to do it a little bit differently. We're not going to take the bread and the cup together. We're going to take the bread first, and I'm going to talk a little bit more, and then we're going to take the cup. But before we take the bread together, I want to address those of you who might be in the room this morning, and you have not yet made a full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And why don't you just go ahead and bow your heads now and just kind of be praying with me at this time. So maybe you go to church and maybe you're a good person. Maybe you understand the gospel message and you've been to the Easter and Christmas services every year for the last 25 years. But your heart with God is not right. And you know it. 
And there are some things in your life that you've not fully surrendered to God yet. You don't know what lordship means. If I were to ask you if something were to happen to you today and you were to die, do you know for sure, 100% sure, that you would be in heaven with God forever and ever? You might not be able to answer that in the affirmative. I want to give you an opportunity right now before we receive the bread together to take a step toward God and to say, you know what, I am at a point in my life where I have to surrender everything to him. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get my act together. But I know right now, because of the things that have been happening in my life leading up to today, I I feel something inside. And you just recognize that this is your hour of visitation. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up and hold it up for a while. Thank you. Keep it up for one second. Okay, thank you. You can put it down. I'm going to say there's four or five hands. And before we just move on, I'm going to make one last appeal because I just sense so strongly in my heart that these are very tender, special moments right now. I, I, I felt it during the worship time. And I don't want you to miss this opportunity. When God calls your name and he taps you on the shoulder... And he said, it's time. I've been patient with you. I've been long-suffering with you. It's time. We need to adjust. And so is there anyone else who didn't raise your hand at first but want to do it now? Go ahead, put it up. I'll wait for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. All right, for those of you who raised your hand or you wish you would have raised your hand and didn't, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. In fact, I want everyone to just pray this prayer silently. No one has to pray it after me. And this is what we call the sinner's prayer. Heavenly Father, today I choose to surrender my life to you. I thank you for the cross and all that it means. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on that cross for my sins. And today I commit my life to you. Once and for all, I surrender to you. I bow my knee at the cross and I say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I repent of those things that I have done. And I know that you're a God of grace and you're a God of mercy and you receive me. And I thank you for giving me life and life more abundantly today. Lord, I thank you for these spiritual miracles that are taking place among us right now the spiritual healing that is happening as souls are literally being transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is a supernatural miracle, one of the greatest miracles that we could ever experience. I thank you for that, Lord. And now, Lord, we look to you for other miracles as well. In a group this size, there are many, many prayer requests. And we bring them before you, Lord. All of our needs, all of our concerns, all of our brokenness. We thank you for going to the cross and dying there, not only for our sins, but also for our sickness, for our pain, for our suffering, for our grief, for our anxiety. You are the God who heals us. 
And I pray, Lord God, joined by many other saints in this place today for a wave of healing to be extended to the families of Community Christian Church. Lord, there are some here today that are desperate. Heavy on our hearts, Lord God, because they are facing some devastating times ahead unless you move. And so we're asking you, 11th hour God, last minute God, move by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring healing to every situation. Lord, we believe you are the God who heals us. And when you took that bread and you broke it and you gave it to his disciples, you said your body was broken for me. We receive that, Lord, because we know the brokenness means we're healed. Thank you, Lord. Let's take the bread together. Scripture says after supper had ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Now, I've mentioned this to you on many different occasions that every time we receive communion together, I look forward to it. And one of the reasons why I look so forward to communion is I I have the opportunity for just a few moments to hold this cup in my hand. And this cup has great meaning and significance to me. This cup reminds me of the covenant relationship I have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And a covenant relationship is a huge blessing. If you understand anything at all about covenant, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. In a covenant relationship, everything that God is and everything that God has belongs to me. That's why we preach so passionately that everything we have and everything that we are belongs to him. That's covenant. Everything. And so I can boldly and confidently come before the throne of God and make my request known to him, knowing that he has the power and the desire to meet all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's why I could pray the way I did just a few moments ago and pray for healing. Because the Bible says he does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And all of the scripture that reminds me of the faithfulness and the promises and the blessings and benefits of God. It's all contained in this cup. So when I hold this cup, I'm reminded of the covenant and it means something to me. It allows me to remember who God is and who I am in the sight of God. Now, why is this cup so powerful? What's in it? What's in this cup? His blood. The blood of Jesus is in this cup. That's what I look to. That's why I look at the cup and hold it so delicately and preciously. When he instituted the communion supper, he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the blood of Jesus that wipes away our sins. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us white as snow. It's the blood of Jesus that allows us to be in right standing with God. It's the blood 
That's what we talk about the blood and we sing about the blood and everybody wants to get rid of the blood. They say it's too violent of a message. Get it out of the gospel. No, there is no gospel without the blood. At all. We're told this throughout the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, at one time we were afar off from God, but now we're made near to him. We're brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. The blood makes all the difference in the world. The blood of Jesus is what sealed the new covenant. Now here's what I want you to check out. When we think about the blood and all that it does for us and how much it benefits us as believers, it forgives us our sins. We pray protection over our lives because of the blood. We know the blood is what helps us to maintain a relationship with God and to overcome the temptations of the enemy. But I want you to understand, in addition to everything that benefits us because of the blood, the blood was shed for God. God demanded blood. God was the one who ordered the cross. God was the one who said, I'm going to send my son and he's going to die on the cross and shed his blood. And do you want to know why he demanded that? Because somebody had to pay the penalty for sin. God is a holy God. He's righteous. He's a God of justice. That's what makes him God. See, he's merciful and he's filled with grace. We know that. But he's holy. Somebody had to pay that price. Jesus paid it so we wouldn't have to. He's the final sacrifice. You don't have to pick your finger when you make a mistake or sin and shed more blood. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. No more blood needs to be shed. The blood of Jesus is enough. So when God looks upon us, do you know what he sees? This. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see how wicked we are. He doesn't see all the bad thoughts that are running around in our minds. We see those. He sees this. That's why the scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if you sin or when you sin, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive the sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People think that God just sweeps the sin under the rug like it didn't exist. No, he doesn't do that. The sin is there. And sometimes there's consequences for sin. In fact, that's the reason why we have all the brokenness in our world today. It's because of the sin. So sin is real. But when it comes to a believer, everybody in the room right now, God sees the blood. He doesn't see anything else. And you know this. You've learned this from the time that you were a believer. And maybe you believe it in your mind. 
but it, it just sometimes doesn't make its way down into full understanding. So as believers and Christians, when we do things that are wrong and when we know that we've failed God, we hang our heads in shame and we, we say, well, you know what, maybe we'll sit this one out and, and not take communion this month. You belong here because of the blood. And the blood can never, it can never lose its power. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and we'll pray. Not only do I want to lift the burden of sin and shame off your shoulders because I know all too well that that's what drags Christians down. It drags me down. When I let my anger get the best of me or I lose my patience or I say something I shouldn't say after walking with the Lord all these years I get guilt ridden because of that sin I know what sin and shame does it drags us down and so I want to lift that burden off your shoulders by emphasizing the power of the blood and that's why it's so important for us so significant in our lives because this is what Jesus, what God sees. He sees this blood. And so in addition to asking the Spirit of God to lift those burdens from you, I'm also going to pray for the desire in your heart to get victory over sin, to not continue to do the same things over and over again. Romans chapter 6 tells us, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, God forbid, no way. How about that? How about if we really tried to draw upon the strength of the blood of Jesus, not only for forgiveness of sins, but to kind of change our ways? I referenced last, uh, a few minutes ago that last week, Pastor Chris spoke from Colossians chapter 3 and did an absolutely marvelous job teaching us how we should act as believers what should be coming out of our mouths and out of our hearts and out of our bodies? How about we try that? How about a little bit more love? A little bit more consideration? A little bit more kindness? How about we work on that? So in addition to lifting the burden of sin, how about, God, give me a change of heart. Let me respond to the sacrifice that Jesus made in the power of the blood and want to be different. And Father, I pray, for that. I pray that for us today. We thank you for the blood, Lord. The enemy tells us we can't change. Yes, we can. We can be transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray for a transformed church, a transformed people of God. Lord, that we're different from the world. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. We don't talk the same. Why? Because we are connected to God with a covenant cup that's filled with a powerful element called the blood of Jesus. It was shed, Lord, to make us whole. And we thank you for it, Lord. Let's take the cup together this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.